Hello, church. My name is Palm, and um, we will now be reading today's passage in the scriptures um, from John 15, verses 1 through 17. Please follow along in your Bibles or your, your app or um, on the screen behind me. I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and, I, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. <clears throat> you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants, servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is a reading of God's word. You guys could probably hear me in the room, but for those that are joining online, uh, I'll be using the mic so they can get uh, some audio as well. But um, yeah, we are finishing off our sermon series through the I Am series where we looked at all the I Am statements found in the book of John as John, uh, as Jesus uh, gave us a, a revelation of who he actually is based on uh, those I Am statements. So over the last uh, six weeks, we've been going over uh, the different I Am statements, what it means, and ex especially what it means to us as Jesus describes himself in ways that might be a little bit uh, different for us in our day and age. And today, now we come to the very last I am statement as Jesus claims to be the true vine. Uh, so we're going to kind of take a look at what that means. Uh, but before we go into that, I want to share with you guys a, um, an article from the Washington Post uh, that did a little survey about what people felt um, meant to be an American. Um, so in 2017, uh, they took a survey of people and 32% uh, of Americans believed that in order to be truly American, that a person needed to be Christian, okay? 43% um, of Republicans said that you had to be Christian in order to be truly American. Uh, 
29% uh, of Democrats said the same thing. 57% um, of people who identified as evangelical Christians said that you needed to be Christian in order to be truly American. 27% uh, of Catholics said it. And uh, age was also a factor, as 44% of people over four, uh, 50 uh, said that you needed to be Christian in order to be American. And uh, people 35 and under, only 18% believe that in order to be truly American, you needed to be Christian. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because there is a, a misorder in priority, a misorder in identity, where the, the priority of your identity was how to become an American, and in order to be truly American, you need to be Christian. Whereas what Jesus and the Gospels clearly teaches is that your identity is much more than your nationality or, or your ethnicity or uh, even where you are born. But it's based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you abide in him, whether you are truly his disciple or not. Now, uh, I, I know reading the survey, we're probably an outlier here in the Bay Area, but you know, if we were somewhere in middle America, they would probably still agree with this, these percentages. Um, but again, the point of that is to understand that not only in America, but in many parts of the world, um, the priority of your nationality takes precedence over your faith and your belief in a, a religious system. And in that same way, I think many of us, uh, naturally, we have this belief that in order for us to truly be an American, that you have to be Christian. Uh, not too long ago, Troy Aikman, um, who's a quarterback, who was a quarterback for the uh, Dallas, um, Dallas Cowboys, he was asked the question, uh, are you Christian? He said, of course I am. I'm American, aren't I? Right? And, and, and that's just kind of the belief that we had. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because in this statement, I am the true vine, which may sound a little uh, foreign to us, what Jesus is communicating is this idea that in order for you to be a disciple of me, your allegiance and your identity must be found in nothing other than who I am. Your identity is not tied to your birth. Your identity is not tied to which tribe of Israel you are from. Your identity is not tied to your career or, or you know, your, uh, your family name, but your identity is tied to who I am as Jesus Christ. And, and this is what we'll be kind of taking a look at today. So we're going to look at three different things from this I am statement. We're going to look at what this means in our relationship with Christ. We're going to look at how I am the true vine relates to our relationship with those around us. And lastly, we're going to look at how the I am statement teaches us about our relationship with this world. So first, our relationship with Christ when Jesus says that I am the true vine, what he is demanding is an allegiance from his disciples to him as their Lord and Savior. Now, John chapter 15 begins right away, and he says, I am the true vine. And, and from last week, we went over John chapter 14, and uh, John chapter 15 seems to kind of come out of nowhere. There is no, like, explanation of where they're at. It's literally, boom, Jesus goes right into, I am the true vine. There is no break in between John chapter 14 and John chapter 15. So some scholars believe that this is just a continual teaching from Jesus. Others believe that John just, you know, forgot to put a break in because uh, it seems a little disconnected. But when you really look at the context of what John is writing, uh, it, it makes a little bit more sense. John chapter 14 ends with Jesus telling the disciples that he must depart and that he's going to go away and that when he does go away that he will send the Holy Spirit to teach and guide them everything that Jesus had taught them. 
And from there, Jesus makes his last I am statement in a way, uh, and in a way, this last I am statement is really uh, just kind of a, a way to summarize and, and sum up all that Jesus had taught them and what it means to be a disciple of his. So when we look at I am the true vine, we have to kind of look at, well, why doesn't Jesus really explain what this means? You know, I mean, the disciples were always asking Jesus, well, what did you mean by that parable? Or, or Jesus always has a follow-up of kind of explanation of what he's teaching, what he's talking about. Uh, but with I am the true vine, he doesn't really explain anything. And it, almost to the point where it seems like the, the disciples in that context knew exactly what Jesus was referring to. And they did. Something that is absent for us. The term I am the true vine is something that seems foreign to us because we are not farmers and because we are not from the nation of Israel. Most of us. I think all of us, right? Uh, the term, the true vine, or, or I, the vine of Israel, is something that was well known to the people of Judaism. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was referred to as the vine. In Psalm chapter 80, uh, Israel is described as the vine out of Egypt. Uh, throughout the prophets in, in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, uh, when the nation of Israel were, were constantly in sin, the prophets, as they spoke the word of God, would refer to Israel as the corrupt vine, uh, as a vine that is charred and useless. So it is against this backdrop that Jesus makes the claim in the statement, I am the true vine. See, what the people of Israel were always waiting for, were, were, were an expectation for, was a sovereign nation that would rule and, and be the, the city on top of a hill. Uh, from the beginning of, of God's covenant, they were always expecting a promised land. They were expecting a kingdom. That's why David is always, you know, King David is still revered to this day, right? Even though he was like a... a a conspirator to murder and an adulterer and all that kind of stuff. They, they still saw King David as, as the one. Because for the people of Israel, what they were expecting was that their birthright, their being, a, 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 you know, their alliance and allegiance to the nation of Israel was what distinguished them from all the other nations. But what Jesus said is, no, I am the true vine. See, the people of Israel, you are placing all your hopes and expectations into a human kingdom, into a human nation. You're looking for a political leader. You're looking for a military leader who will be able to take you, know, you and become independent from the Roman Empire. But he's saying, no, that's not where you should put your allegiance in. Your allegiance lies with me. I am the true vine that you need to be connected to. I am the true vine that you must have an intimate relationship with. I am the true vine where you find your identity. No longer in the nation of Israel, but in me, your Lord and Savior. And so throughout chapter 15, he gives us a kind of a description of what it means to abide in him. right? And the word abide is something that we probably don't use in our, you know, in our day and age, we don't be like, hey, have you been abiding? Like, we don't say that, right? So basically, it comes down to this. It's, do you have a deep, intimate relationship with someone or something? When you're abiding in Christ, he's referring to an, a deep, intimate relationship with him. And he says, you must abide in me. When you abide in me, I abide in you. And when you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. 
And, you know, and right away, like when I read this passage, the first thing that pops into my mind is bearing fruit. And then he also says, and if you abide in me, you pray and you'll get whatever you ask for. And like those are the two things that pop into my mind, but, but that's not the main point. The main point that Jesus is talking about is abiding. We'll get into the fruit later. He's saying, abide in me. Have a deep, intimate knowledge of who I am. Know me. Love me. And I think this is something that we'll get into at the third point, but something that we have failed in dramatically and something that we constantly fail in. See, the whole purpose of Jesus making the statement of I am the true vine is that he is making sure that the disciples understand that even though I will be arrested, crucified, and ascend back into heaven, that through the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which I will send down, you must continue to seek to abide in me even after I am physically gone from this world. And as Christians living on this side of the crucifixion, we know that we, we don't see Jesus here right, you know, in our face. He doesn't come down and be like, hey, yo, what's up? Like, and, and so we have to understand, like, well, what do we, how do we continue in our discipleship? We abide in him through a deep, intimate relationship through the word of God. Knowing him, loving him, understanding who he is and what he has done for us through his revelation in, 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 in scripture. And that is what he's referring to. Abide in me. That is the command. So now that leads us to our second point, which is what, what happens when we actually abide in Christ. What happens when we abide in Christ? And this is the relationship that we have with those around us. He says, when you abide in me, you will do what I command. And you're like, Jesus, tell me, what, 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 is, what do you command? And he, he, he like knows the questions that we have, right? It says, and this, so in verse 10, it says, if you, abide, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Right, so how do we abide in Christ? Keep his commandments. Well, which commandments is he referring to? All of them? Well, he, he kind of narrows it down for us because he knows that we're a little dense, you know. Um, we, we need very specific instructions. So in verse 12, it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay. So if we want to abide in Christ, he says, obey my commandments. How do you obey his commandments? You love others the way that I have loved you. And this is the fruit that Jesus is referring to. That when you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. You abide in me by obeying my commandments. You abide in me by loving others. And the reality is, is that loving others is sometimes one of the most difficult things we can do as Christians, right? And so that leads us to our second point. How do we relate to others? Uh, and, you know, please don't take offense because I'm going to talk a little bit more candidly. And when I talk, I'm not referring to any, any of you guys specifically, okay? I'm speaking generally and most likely from, you know, past church experiences. So don't think it's about you, okay? Please. I don't need any angry emails. But um, here's the thing. When we, when we talk about loving others as Christ loved us, it's a very Christianese type statement, right? And we expect that people should know what this means. But the reality is, is that we really don't know what that means. We talk about loving one another, but it's never clearly defined in the church or even just for our, from ourselves. So we all have very different expectations of what love is. If you grew up in a very loving home, 
then it's like, how am I going to love others that I barely know in the way that I've experienced love in my home? Very difficult. If you grew up in an unloving home, you're like, I don't even know what love is. So I don't know how to love others. You know, and so we need to be able to, in the church, define very specifically what this love actually is. Well, I think we have to kind of take a step back to figure out, well, what, do, what, are, what are the expectations that people usually have? I, I believe when people um, expect, um, the expectations that people have of church is that they will be loved unconditionally in the way that they want to be loved without ever expressing how that is, right? I mean, and, and that's why it's so hard to love others. Uh, when people come to church, they always talk about community, Right? They always talk about, oh, I'm, looking, I'm here because I want to find community. I'm here because uh, I want to build community. Or I'm here looking for community. And that's uh, the re- code word for uh, I-, I want friends. Okay? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all desire and require friendship. But I think there needs to be a very def- uh, definitive definition and distinction between community and friendship. Because I think community in the, in the Christian definition, is something very biblical. I think friendship can become very worldly. So oftentimes when people uh, are dissatisfied with the church or when people have left the church, they always say, you know, I really try to look for a community, but I couldn't find any community here, so I'm, I'm looking for it somewhere else. Uh, what that really means, most of the time, not all the time, if you've done this, I'm not saying that you did this, okay? Most of the time it means I went to this church, um, they were cliquish, I tried to make friends, and I couldn't make any friends there, you know. And sometimes it's, you probably didn't give that much effort. And, and, you know, okay, again, this is not you. I'm talking very candidly. A lot of the times you don't have friends because you're either socially awkward or you don't really know how to make friends, okay. If you're socially confident or, you know, capable, you might not need friends at church. You probably already have friends elsewhere, and you're not looking for friendship in the church, okay? Now, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this is because I think loving one another is something that we say in churches without really defining it. So I want to be able to define it for us in the way that Jesus explains it to us. Now, friendship, the things that we're all looking for, is not the biblical conclusion or the biblical goal that we have in loving one another. Because friendship is, is very fickle. It's very random. Pastor Eugene talks about this all the time. He says, community is built, friendship is found. And, and that's the reality. Friendships, oftentimes, I mean, how do you define friendship? It's, you, you, it's not even about having things in common. It's really just like a certain chemistry. You either have it or you don't. There are certain people that I have a lot of stuff in common with, but it's like a chore to hang out with them. There's other people who I have nothing in common with them, and it's just like we just be like, hey, you know, like ah, you know, it's just like it's just like free and easy, right? And 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 that's what friendship is in a worldly sense. It's something that's very, very easy. It's just you just find it. It's like the luck of the draw. Now, if we're all only looking for that type of friendship, then it really requires no effort. It really requires no, uh, uh, no sacrifice, no determination, and no uh, uh, um, you know, willingness to be able to compromise on both sides. 
Now, the way Jesus describes friendship, he says this, greater love has no, no, nothing than this, that a friend would lay down his life, or that you would lay down your life for a friend. Now, I have some really good friends. You know, I got, I got some friends from college. I got some friends from high school. I got some friends that are pastors, right? Um, we, you know, we chat every day. We talk every day. I would die for none of them. <laughs> I, and they're some of my best friends. I would like, why would I die for them? I got, I got my own family. You know what I mean? Like, if I die, then, I, like, why would I die for them? I would only die for my kids and my wife. Maybe my wife. Okay, my wife. For sure my wife. I was just kidding, guys. For sure my wife. For sure my wife. Okay? When Jesus describes friendship in the biblical way, he says no great, there's no greater love than this, that you would lay down your life for a friend. He means that true biblical friendship is one that is sacrificial, one that is intentional, one that happens not because you like somebody, because you are choosing to be their friend. Jesus, he knows us intimately. He knows all of our warts. If you ask Jesus, are we likable, he'll probably say no, right? Because he hates sin. But what did he do? He chose to die for us to display his friendship. So when we're going back to this command to love others as I have loved you, he's not saying become friends in the worldly sense where you guys just like to hang out or you just click. That's superficial. He's saying be friends in the gospel sense where that you are willing to be able to lay your life down for the sake of your friend. I don't think it means literally, he doesn't mean you literally have to die. He's saying, are you willing to die to yourself to let go of some of your comforts? Are you willing to be intentional with sacrificing some of your own joys and your own, you know, um, the way you do things for the sake of encouraging and helping those around you? And the only way this fruit can be bared, bored, the only way this fruit can come out is if you are abiding in Christ. Unless you understand what it means that he is your friend by him giving his life for you, there's no way we will have the energy or the bandwidth to be able to express that type of love to the people around us in a gospel-centered way. So what are you seeking? Are you seeking friendship in the way the world is describing friendship? Or are you seeking friendship the way that the gospel is describing friendship? How are you loving others? Are you loving others the way the world describes the way you love others? By just having things in common and having fun and going on trips? Or are you loving others the way that the Bible is describing how you love others in an intentional, purposeful, sacrificial way? Because friendship is totally random, guys. Totally random. And, and, and literally, like, all the stars have to align. Like, you have to have the same values. You have to be, like, around the same age group. You have to have the same, like, economic means. You have to, you know, you know like, same hobbies. And then all of a sudden, on top of that, you have to have the same mindset. It's completely random. Random things aren't that meaningful. I mean, and, and not to bash on friendships, you know. There's good friendships. But the intentional community and loving one another described here in, in I Am the True Vine is what Jesus is after. Now, that leads us to our third and final point. Uh, what does this mean 
when he says, I am the true vine, in terms of our relationship to the world. Okay. If you read further on in John chapter 15, he describes the world as something that hates us. He says, the world will hate you. If he hated me, how much more will it hate you? Okay. Um, John also is the author of 1 John. and the letter of 1 John, he, he writes a lot, uh, a very similar uh, topic about, you know, abiding in Christ, loving one another. He says, he who does not love his brother who he has seen uh, cannot love me who he has, or God the Father who he has not seen. Uh, basically saying, if you say you love me but hate your brother, uh, you don't really love me. Uh, and then in John chapter 2, verse 15 and seven, through 17, he says this. He says, do not love the world. So in John chapter 15, he says, the world's going to hate you. But now in John, 1 John chapter 2, he kind of flips it and he says, do not love the world. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all the things of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Saying, if you love the world, then you don't have the love of God in you. If you are abiding in the world, then there's no way you can abide in me. Now, um, the last two years uh, exposed, not only in me, but probably many of you and many of those that are no longer here, that we um, tricked ourselves into thinking that we were abiding in Christ when we really weren't. That we tricked ourselves into thinking that we really had a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus when we really didn't. Uh, have you guys ever played that game, like, what would you bring on a deserted island, right? And it's like, you know, if you're a good Christian, you're like, number one, I'm going to bring the Bible, because if I'm on a deserted island and as long as I have fish and coconut to eat, then I'm just going to read the Bible all day and I'm going to be, you know, like so intimate with Jesus, you know, like we're just going to be chilling on the beach, you know, reading the Gospels. Uh, guess what? The last two years we were basically on a deserted island. We had nothing but the Bible. I guarantee you we barely read the Bible, right? Because everything that was taken away from us uh, in terms of like group gatherings, our community groups, our Sunday gatherings, hanging out with friends, uh, is, is what God stripped away to say, all these things make you think that you are abiding in me. Let me take that all away and let me see if you truly will abide in me. And many of us didn't. Many of us didn't. And the evidence of that is that we started struggling. Many, the evidence of that is that you know, some people who were attending church no longer attend church. Uh, the evidence of that is, is we fail to really love one another as we saw just the turmoil that was happening in this country or even just the turmoil that was happening in smaller, you know, groups of people. You know, people unfriending each other on Facebook or, you know what I mean, like the, the Facebook wars that were happening just between people that knew each other. Um, there's a lot of people that I knew in college that probably unfollowed me. I don't know why, you know. Why would anyone want to unfollow me? And it's really because we were no longer abiding, we were exposed to the fact that we never really abided in Christ the way we were supposed to. But what we did do is we were very, very unashamed of how much we really abided in this world. That we really love the things of this world. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess, I would, I would say in my staff meetings, I love Zoom church. And I, and I, I joked, I was like, I'm gonna be the, we're going to be the last church to gather back in person, and, you know, because of COVID, you know. 
but it was really because of my comfort. And the things that we um, lamented were not being able to go on trips with friends, right? Not being able to meet up with friends, not being able to go shopping, not being able, I mean, these are all worldly things that we really truly lamented because it exposed to us that even though we gave lip service to the, the, the phrase, I love Jesus, you know, nothing but the blood of Jesus, what we really showed with our actions and our desires was that we love the world. So John says, do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all the things of the world, says the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's how he describes it in those three ways. Now, uh, this theme is not something new that John came up with. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, uh, at the, when Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent, and when Eve finally ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, it says this. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, desires of the flesh, that it was a delight to the eyes, desires of the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise the pride of life. The very sin in which that was entered into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve was love for the world over love for God. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying, don't place your allegiance and love for the world over your love for me. So then the question is, well, how do we overcome this pitfall of loving the world more than loving Christ? How do we overcome this pitfall from no longer abiding in Christ and abiding in this world? We can't do it on our own. And that's why Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. See, the temptation of Jesus in the desert is very interesting because in the desert, if you don't know, Jesus, before he begins his ministry, he spends 40 days in the wilderness fasting and the only thing he's doing is abiding in the word of God. He's, he's just going over the book of Deuteronomy and praying. And when, this, when Satan comes to tempt him in the wilderness, uh, he tempts him three times. The first thing he says is, turn, you're hungry, Jesus. I know you're hungry. Turn that stone into bread and eat. And he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan was tempting Jesus with the desires of the flesh. You're hungry. Turn that stone into bread. And Jesus overcomes that temptation. Then he takes him and he says, hey, if you just throw yourself over here from this temple and, uh, you know, call upon the angels and they will come and, and swoop you up and save you before you fall and die. He, he's tempting him with the desires of the eyes. Right? We want to see the angels come and save you. And Jesus overcomes that temptation and says, no, the Lord God says, don't ever test me. And then lastly, he tempts him with the boastful prides of life. He shows him the entire world. He says, if you would just bow down to me, I will make you ruler of this all. And Jesus again overcomes that temptation. He says, you shall worship your Lord, your God, and him only shall you serve. Where we fail in loving the world, where Adam failed in the first temptation, Jesus succeeds in overcoming it. Why? Because he abided in the Father. Because he had a deep and true intimate relationship with him. Not a faux relationship. 
And what he invites us to is not to overcome the world and our temptations on our own. He invites us to an easy yoke, an easy burden, where he says, come and abide in me, for I have overcome everything for you. So church, I leave you with this. Um, uh, we we want to focus for the next several months, years going forward, uh, we want to focus in on what it truly means for us to abide in the love of Christ. We, we, we want to focus in on, on loving the word of God. We want to be able to uh, offer more Bible studies and teach the word of God more. Uh, we want to be able to focus our attention on not just trying to be a fun-loving community and building friends. We want to be able to build community based on the word of God and the gospel. And we want to be able to provide, uh, um, you know, ways for you to truly understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so we hope in the midst of the busyness of things opening back up, it's going to numb us, and we're just going to go back to the way things were. Uh, So we want to be able to turn that attention back to what it truly means to abide in Christ uh, so that we may be able to bear fruit in loving others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that in your grace, even though we are people who love the world, even though we are people who continually fall in temptation to abide away from you and in this world, uh, that you still love us and give grace upon us and call us um, to abide in you. And you give us the promise that when we abide in you, that you will abide in us and that we will bear much fruit to love others as you have loved us. And God, the more we think about how you have loved us, uh, it energizes us and it fulfills us to the point uh, where we can do nothing but love those around us. So help us to constantly reflect upon that truth and upon that love that you have for us as you sacrifice your life uh, so that we may have eternal life. So we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.